0: Hello, everyone. I'm Pam LaRicchia, and this is episode number 116 of the podcast. It's the 21st of March, 2018, as I record this intro. My guest this week is Summer Jean. Summer is 29, and she grew up unschooling, and we have a wonderful conversation about her experience. We chat about how her mom came to unschooling, dealing with disapproval from extended family members, how her passion for glass art has unfolded, some of the common questions she gets when people learn she didn't go to school, and lots more. For my update this week, I wanted to let you know that I shared another excerpt from my new book, The Unschooling Journey, on the blog. I'll put the link in the show notes for you. It's about unschooling and the nature of time. See, when we begin unschooling, we often choose it in juxtaposition to school. We're choosing something different for sure, but chances are we're still wrapped up in the conventional messages around time, around productivity and busyness and quote, having something to show for time spent. We think we're going to take that school time and replace it with unschooling time and we're good to go. But soon we discover it's not that simple. The nature of time through the conventional school lens, which has become society's lens, is that learning marches along in measured steps, fact by fact, skill by skill, day by day. It doesn't take long watching children who are free to learn to see that that's just not true. Genuine, engaged learning cannot be usefully measured by time. It comes in fits and starts, in big jumps of revelation and baby steps of determined understanding. And we start to suspect that those big stretches of time they spend seemingly, quote, doing nothing of value, are playing an important role too. Our concept of time begins to unravel as its true nature reveals itself. And also, I've gotten amazing feedback from people who have read the book, so thanks so much for that. And if you've read the book, I would deeply appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave a review. Reviews are so important for books. They build trust. They help people decide if a book is worth buying. And they influence the online store algorithms. So for example, the more reviews, the more people on Amazon will see the book showing up in their related search results to know that it even exists. So to anyone who takes a moment to leave a review, thanks so much. Thanks for helping me spread the word. And a huge thank you to everyone who has chosen to support the show on Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons and their generous support. It's vital to helping me share unschooling information and inspiration with anyone who wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support the show, even for as little as a dollar a month, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And this week's quote is from Summer. It's human instinct to evolve. I mean, how did we get to where we are? It wasn't from someone forcing us to learn something we didn't care about. It was from us being curious and interested and wanting to get better at something. And that sums it up right there, doesn't it? Being curious and interested and wanting to get better at something. We do like to complicate things, don't we? But that's where it all starts, right there. Now, Summer shares a lot of other great insights in our conversation this week, so let's get started. Hi, everyone. I'm Pamela Rickia from livingjoyfully.ca, and today I'm here with Summer Jean. Hi, Summer.
1: Aloha. Ah, beautiful. <laughs>
0: Summer and her three siblings grew up unschooling. I really enjoyed chatting a bit with her about her experiences a month or so ago, and I'm excited that she was willing to come on the podcast and share her story. So to get us started, Summer, can you share with us a bit about you and your family?
1: Sure, I'd love to. Um, Let's see, what would you like to know? I'm 29 years old. Mm -hmm. I live on Maui, Hawaii now have a super incredible life here. And I grew up in partially in Northern California. And then we moved to Hawaii when I was 11. But we've been unschooled all the way through. So neither me or any of my siblings, I have three brothers spent even a day in a classroom.
0: That's beautiful. And your brothers are older, younger?
1: I have two older brothers and one younger brother. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So, I, also have yeah. a younger, I also have a younger sister who's um, my dad and my stepmoms, ah. um, and she had a very different upbringing, so that's also kind of an interesting parallel where she actually went to school and had a very different kind of life than, than her siblings. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about, I know you said you guys have always unschooled, but um, do you know a little bit that you can share about your family's move to unschooling? How did your mom get there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I can I can only share from what I what she's told me mm-hmm. and what I what I can remember, and I'm sure she would explain it differently than I than I do. But um, well, first of all, I'm not super fond of the term unschooling because I feel like it's really become such a it's such a broad range. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't, I think, describe like our particular lifestyle. It's like it could be anything. Unschooling can be such a huge spectrum mm-hmm. um for so many different families in different ways and we didn't have that term growing up you know 30 years ago people were still asking you what on un- what homeschooling was. <laughs> yeah. you know you yeah. say so we we usually said we were homeschooled and people would be like what's that mm-hmm. um and so we didn't even have the term unschooling we usually called ourselves self-educated mm-hmm. um or life educated which i i like a lot because then it doesn't really have anything to do with school. Yeah. Um, because our life it didn't have anything to do with school or not school. You know, mm-hmm. school just didn't enter as for education did, but that's a totally different thing than schooling. I mean, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, it's it's true that it's really a term that we used um, talking to other people. It wasn't something that we used like in our family when I was talking exactly. to my kids. Like we never used that
1: term. We're just like no. Living right. <laughs> yeah. There. Uh, why label? Yeah. Just being alive. Yeah. Why? Why have to have like a certain kind of label for that? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it and, helped me most just connecting to other people. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. It just it helped yeah. people who are in a certain mindset to yeah. understand. You know, to have a. Yeah, I guess just the labels—it's mm-hmm. put you in a category or something. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, to answer your question, um, my mom was very young when she had my oldest brother. She was 21 and I don't think she really had any ideas about it. She just was like, Oh, okay. I'm having a baby and, you know, didn't really think she would do anything different than anyone else. So there was no plan. Um, she just thought, you know, you just, you do it like everybody else. You have a kid and you know, and you're married and put him in school and you just have the nice life. It wasn't like she had a philosophy to start out with. Mm-hmm. Um, But I think what happened was she was so taken over by motherhood and she fell so deeply in love with her children Um, and she wanted to be with us. And I think what happened was, I, I remember her telling me that in the beginning when Garrett, my oldest brother was really small and she thought about taking him to like a preschool. And the thought just dawned on her as the most bizarre thing that anyone would just take their precious, beautiful baby, the most important thing in the world that you're so in love with, and hand them off to a stranger all day Mm -hmm. and other kids, strangers all day, you know, when they probably don't even want to go in the first place. And then it's like, you don't even know what they're learning or, or who they're interacting with or what's going on. It's like suddenly you have separate lives and they're just this tiny child and you've had this beauty, you know, like we were so connected. My mom was so connected with us as children. I think it really started actually just from the very beginning. It was like, no, I'm not going to put my kid in the crib to cry themselves to sleep. And my grandparents were terrified, you know, well, he's never going to learn to be independent. And yeah. he's going to be relying on you for everything forever. And you need to teach him how not to need you. Mm-hmm. And my mom was just like, that's ridiculous. I need him. I need to hold him. I'm not you know, like why break both of our hearts? It's not, it's not necessary. Like she didn't understand really what people were afraid of. And yeah. I remember her telling me at one point she did have the thought like, um, okay, maybe my kids will be spoiled, but I can't do this. I can't deny them my love. Oh, wow. And I think, uh, so she did have that thought at one point, like mm-hmm. she would accept the consequences but right now having love and peace in our home is more important. Wow. And so my mom lives more from a place of, of now than like fear of the future. And I think she's always been that way. And she continues to to deepen in that, in her own spirituality. But as far as like choosing, um, how her children's education, it just was like one thing after another. It was kind of in each moment, what felt right. Um, so there wasn't like a big plan or, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I guess philosophy or like structure or like, you know, it didn't come from her mind. It wasn't like, um, so psychological. Um, It, It wasn't maybe intellectual Intellectual. Yeah. That's a good know. word. It wasn't so intellectual. It wasn't so mind driven of like what works and how to get your kids to be a certain way or how to get them to be successful someday. Or if you talk to them like this, they'll, they'll be like this. Or if you do this, they'll. it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. It was more like, how do we be now peace, you know, in peace and love in our home? And how do I have a positive relationship with my children? Um, so, there was no manipulation of how we would be someday. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that that is like a huge key that a lot of people, I think, miss is that there's this pressure on yourself and there's this pressure on your children. And when there's that kind of pressure on this, and it's fear driven, it's fear driven because you're afraid that they're going to somehow fail in life or not be successful. And you're doing things based on fear of someday. And then you're not here with your kids. And then there's if you have that pressure in your relationship with your children, there is going to be rebellion, whether it's from them or from you. Mm -hmm. There is going to be pushback against that, you know, because kids can feel that from you. And I feel like that was like one of the biggest things is there was so much freedom and space in my relationship with my mom because she wasn't afraid for me. And she wasn't pushing me. She wasn't um, trying to get me to be a certain way. She wasn't trying to fix me or change me or train me or make me something that she wanted me to be. So there was all this space and freedom for my own self-expression to unfold. And for me to learn and get to know myself without pushing against anything.
0: That's so fascinating because you know, from my experience and from a lot of um, people that I talk to, um that is that is the challenge of of moving to unschooling, of deschooling ourselves is getting yes. to that, getting away from From all that fear, all that projection into the future. I mean, we talk about that Mm -hmm. on our Q&A episodes all the time to get Mm -hmm. to the now. That's all the work Mm -hmm. that it takes. Yeah. And and that's where your mom started. That's so awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And, you know, and she did realize, too, um, when we were really young, she was realizing she wanted to give us all this freedom. And she started to see that she herself was not free. And so there was and I didn't learn about the term de-schooling. Um, until recently and i thought well that's a like that's a really cool thing for parents to look at and think about is to de-school yourself first because we do perpetuate those patterns and my mom did realize that and she could see that in herself and she was like wow if i don't consciously work on freeing myself i am not going to be able to allow my children to be who they are
0: mhm oh yeah that's that's a really cool insight because One of the things that you learn as you start digging into that is how deeply it's ingrained in Mm -hmm. you. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like even when um, my kids first came home and I did all that work, There were still pockets over the years as things came up that I hadn't thought about before, right? So it's like, oh, man.
1: (laughs) What is this fear that's coming
0: up? What is this um, pushback, this resistance that I'm feeling? And, you know, you go through the process again to figure it out for yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, mean, that to me is just kind of like the the journey of human being human Uh, person (laughs) 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 all the time. But this is a really big one because we're so programmed in our society to think we need something outside of ourselves to make us okay. Mm -hmm. And it, it, and that we see that across the board, you know, in our, in our society, we need the car, we need the house, we need the education. And it's the same to me. It's all the same thinking Mm -hmm. that you need something outside yourself to be okay, to be successful, to be happy. And we do that to our kids and we tell them they need to go to school to be a whole person. Mm-hmm. Like you're not okay the way you are. You need these other people to force feed you information that you don't care about. Yep. Yeah. So that always just seemed ridiculous. To me because <laughs> I didn't ever have, I didn't have that programming. And you know, it's, it's interesting too. Cause my mom, I think it was the, the book Summerhill. Mm-hmm. that really triggered the like, okay, we're doing the freedom thing with education yeah. um, because she tried like homeschool groups. She even tried to start a little school in her house at one point. And this is all before me. Mm-hmm. By the time I came along, you know, I was the third child and it had been Garrett was seven years old, the oldest. So, and then clay was four and then there was me. So by the time I came along, I think my mom had really relaxed a lot and, and settled more into the, the lifestyle And wasn't quite as worried and she had, um, yeah, she just, she, she had relaxed a lot more and let go of a lot because I think for a long time she was still trying to like, um, make it work with other people and, and get other people interested and have community and join together and have groups. And, um, by the time I came along, she was like, well, maybe we're just going to be alone and that's okay because Mm -hmm. this is more important. And that was one of, I feel like, I think my mom's just an incredibly strong, she's an incredibly strong and brave woman, uh, especially when I see now the fear of, that other people have of being alone. You know, like, oh, I would homeschool my kids, but, you know, I don't want to be alone. Like, I don't know anybody who's doing it. I don't know anybody else who's doing it. I want them to have socialization. You know, and that's a whole topic in itself. Well, what yeah. about socialization? <laughs> oh my goodness, you know <laughs> yeah. I'm talking to you right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> well that's so interesting that like as you
0: say, you your your family was like fully living, just living, living and yeah. schooling uh-huh. by the time you were born. So, you know, it wasn't really a topic that was just the way your family lived while you were growing up. So I was curious yeah. to know what inspired you to learn more about unschooling or, or you know, um, the way you were raised and has it changed the way
1: you see your childhood now looking back? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say so. I mean, it it wasn't that it was never a topic of conversation because there was a lot of friction with family. Mm-hmm. So, There was, you know, we would talk about it with our mom and, um, I mean, I had a a grandma who was really super freaked. I had all my grandmas, well, not all of them, but half my grandparents were super freaked out, really scared for us. And, um, you know, testing and flashcards when people had their backs turned kind of thing and, um, and just really scared. And so there was, you know, obviously that's going to get brought up like, Hey mom, why are people doing this? You know? Yeah. You know, and so we would have those conversations. But as I got older, I think also, I think interacting with other kids um, mm-hmm. was a big part of it. And, and interacting with other adults where people would compliment me or my whole family. You know, I remember people walking up to us in the grocery stores and being like, wow, your family is just so peaceful. And so it just sense this yes. harmony around <laughs> you, you know. Yes. Or people would come up to my mom and be like, I've never spoken to children that are so respectful and kind and mature. Mm-hmm. And like, wow, your five-year-old's vocabulary is off the charts, you know? So like we would get these kind of comments and feedback from people and constantly mm-hmm. being told that we were the most amazing kids anyone ever met. And it made me curious, you know, like, well, why, what makes us so special? You know, like, why, how are we different? Mm-hmm. And, and then you start to, spend time with other people and hang out with kids, you know, that go to public school. And, and, you know, it's hard to say, I mean, I have a lot of memories, but interacting with kids, I think maybe around the age of like 11, 12 Mm -hmm. and interacting with, I had friends that went to school in the neighborhood and, um, the things that they thought about and worried about were so different and the way that they interacted with their parents and the way they talked about their parents And, um, the way that their parents spoke to them and treated them and what they expected from them. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to say when you're that age, you know, I, I was always interested and I was always trying to kind of figure that out, but I think it was really like when I started babysitting when I was a teenager and I started interacting with children in that way and being their caregiver Mm-hmm. And what came naturally to me, and then seeing how they were with their parents, and how kids would act when they were with me because of the way that I treated them, and then how they would act with with their parent when their parents got home.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I got to see these, and it just really made me curious. Like, what is this? What's going on? And um, and you start to see the way other people behave with their children. I mean, just out in public, and and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just It became a passion of mine Mm -hmm. and I always loved sharing with parents my experience and encouraging people to give their children more freedom and more space, even just emotionally and mentally, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and to be more present because it's not just about school and it's about just life in general Mm -hmm. and it's about being and trusting and following your inspiration I know that was something that was huge for me because at first, you know, because my kids were in
0: school and when they came home, at first I was thinking, well, this is going to be what we're going to do instead of school for their learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And I came across unschooling and that sounded, it made a lot of sense, you know, intellectually, there we go. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But just a few months Of that, I came to realize how, I mean, it expanded into exactly our whole lives. And and it became more about being in the moment. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. you know, that for me, that intellectual understanding up front was really important in that Mm -hmm. it's what got me to take that leap at first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But so soon, like within a few months, I realized that this wasn't just for replacing school. This was for how we were going to live together as people, as a family, right? Yes. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned... Yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say that I think um, I was just remembering that one of the things I feel like happened with my mom was that she seemed to have a natural belief in um who we are as human beings like when we're born Mm -hmm. and that I think that if you believe that a child is born lacking then you're you won't have a choice but to feel that you need to fix them but if you believe that a child is born with all of the necessary tools to acquire what they need to be successful in life then all you need to do is be there and give them space and give them, you know, like, yeah, be there and give them space and support and be a resource. Mm -hmm. And my mom, I think she just really knew deep down that we were okay and that we, we were equipped with the tools that we needed to learn what we needed. And she trusted that our natural instinct to evolve would, would push us uh, not push us, but inspire us, you know, it's a yeah. natural hue. It's human instinct yeah. to evolve. I mean, how did we get to where we are? It wasn't from someone forcing us to learn something we didn't care about. It was from us being curious and interested and in wanting to get better at something. It's a, it just came from us wanting, being hungry, being cold, having a need and then learning how to fulfill that need. And mm-hmm. nowadays it's like, a, you know, uh, our needs may be different, but there's still needs, and even if it's the simple need to make create something with your hands. I mean, you see kids; it's like they, they need to do something all the time, especially when they're little. They're constantly doing. Mm-hmm. They're not lazy. That's not a natural. <laughs> that, that's not a natural human state. Laziness, and I think it, I think my mom just knew that if she didn't interrupt the life's natural process of evolution. If she was just there to to be part of it and assist it, be available for it, mm-hmm. that it would work itself out. Yeah,
0: that's amazing that she got to that, that like, place early. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That that life didn't need her help. She didn't need to manipulate life, our lives. She
0: mm-hmm. just needed
1: to be there for it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Cause it reminds me of because. You know, I always um, like when my my kids were born and and, you know, a couple of years old, they were amazing. I was always impressed by their curiosity and, Mm -hmm. you know, and all they're doing and the way they learned things. They Yeah. Really just soaking up the world around them.
1: Yeah. Like sponges. Somehow we we seem to think that like transforms overnight when Mm -hmm. they turn five. You know, I I don't know. I don't know where this idea comes from, but it's very bizarre to me to think that that would stop somewhere. I mean, you can't stop a child from learning to walk or from learning to talk. You cannot stop that. That's going to happen whether you like it or not. They will learn things, you know, even if you try and stop them from learning things, they'll learn things simply from being alive. And half the time you don't know what your child is learning. You don't even know. Like, you could be trying to teach them one thing but they're actually learning something totally different from what you're saying so Mm. I always find that interesting as well when people are really trying to control what their kids are learning and I'm seeing that there's some deeper life lessons getting learned that you don't they don't even know about
0: oh exactly they're picking up so much more from the situation
1: (laughs) all the time
0: yeah yeah no that's amazing Now, you mentioned earlier that um, you guys got quite a bit of pressure and disapproval from extended family. So I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about how you dealt with that and if there's any tips that you might share, because I know there are other families who experience
1: that (laughs) as well. (laughs) That's a, it's a big one. It's a huge one. Luckily, I think there's more and more of, you know, this so-called alternative education, even though I think it's totally just the original way of living. Yeah. And so there's more and more awareness. And I think there's more and more people that are like, you know, okay, well, mom, we're going to be homeschooling the kids. And it's like, oh, it's not unheard of anymore. Yeah. Um, But when I was growing up, it was unheard of, at least in our area and our community and our family. And, um, luckily my mom's parents were pretty cool. They never really seemed to have a problem. They trusted my mom. They thought she was a great mom that they weren't really, they were happy just to be the fun grandparents. They weren't super fearful or concerned, which was wonderful. But my dad, um, I have two sets of grandparents from my dad's side, divorced and remarried. And both of those were... Extremely extremely fearful and we've been through we went through some really difficult pain painful things with them My mom did my mom went through hell um, They she got like ostracized from the family basically in a way or she kind of left because it was just too difficult She just couldn't deal with it anymore. You know first it was you're not putting them in the crib to cry themselves asleep How could you you know? Um, and then it was you're not vaccinating. Oh my god, you're not circumcising, you know, like what's gonna happen to these poor kids you're vegetarian. Oh my goodness. You know, they're going to die. And, um, they were so scared. They were so scared and they were so righteous also. And I I know my grandma told my mom like, well, Carl and Janie turned out perfect. I don't know why you would do anything different. Mm -hmm. She just, she, my grandma had no under, she didn't understand why my mom would want to do anything different than she did because her kids were perfect. Um, so my mom couldn't really explain, it didn't make sense to them and they weren't really interested yeah. in, in hearing about it. And at one point my grandma actually called CPS, um, and said that we were, uh, neglected, accused my mom of negligence and CPS came to our home and it was a very interesting experience and my mom could tell it better cause I was just a toddler. I think I was three at the time and, um, my baby brother was an infant, And we had, I guess she had just cleaned the house and we were all carrying firewood all harmoniously together, working together, carrying firewood into the house. And, um, and she put Kai down for a nap and CPS comes up and knocks on the door and can we come in for a minute, you know, and my mom's heart is pounding and they sit down and I, I guess Kai was sleeping on his own peacefully. Garrett and Clay and I were like, or I was sitting in mom's lap and Garrett and Clay were playing on the floor nicely and everything was all, we lived in like this kind of model home in like a neighborhood. So it looked super normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything was just happy and peaceful, and we looked healthy and everything. And these CPS workers were like, okay, well, we don't really know why we're here, but what is this homeschooling thing? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and you know, my mom ended up having a really great conversation with them about homeschooling. I guess one of, the, one of the CPS workers was really interested, and it turned into a good conversation. So that case got dropped. But then my stepmom um, actually took us to court to try and force us to go to public school. So we actually had to go to court and we got checked out by a social worker. um, And the social worker was like, oh, maybe they're not academically where they should be, but they're close enough and they're super awesome kids and everything's fine. And the judge ruled that um, we would, we could have, we had to have a tutor. Wasn't going to force us to go to school, but we had to have a tutor. My mom got to pick the tutor and my dad had to pay for it. Mm. So we ended up not ever getting a tutor. (laughs) 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 Um, So we had to, you know, so that's just like a a little bit of an idea of some of the things we had to deal with. You know, I remember being at at my grandma's house and my brothers would go outside to play and my grandma would start like quizzing me, you know, what's two Mm -hmm. plus five and that kind of thing Um, when I was really little. And, and other things, you know, like, do you do you have your own bed? Are you sleeping in the same bed as your mother? And, you know, like that, just like, just so freaked out about everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being, I remember not being super upset about it because, Then this is what I wanted to share, was when it was brought up with my mom, I remember having this conversation with my mom, and I was quite young. Um, and it's really what made the difference... For not having all that affect me quite so deeply, I know that it affected my brothers pretty deeply. They had a lot of pressure, mm-hmm. um, and so they struggled a little bit more with learning certain things. Like my oldest brother struggled more with reading and and writing because he was under so much pressure. He was the first grandchild, and um, he just got so much attention and questioned so much that he it like gave him fear. Yeah. And, um, there was so much energy, so much negative energy pointed toward us that we kind of shrank away from certain things, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and that's really difficult. I think that's really difficult for a lot of people is uh, kids probably would have been fine, but then you have these grandparents that are so scared that, um, it transfers onto the children and the children get scared that they're not going to be able to do something right. Yeah. Yeah. And that happened to me a little bit to some degree, but so much less than my brothers because I was the third and there was a lot less pressure by the time I came along and there was other grandchildren. But I remember my mom telling me, she told me, she was like, honey, they're just, she explained to me that it's it's just because they love you so much and they care about you so much and they love you so much and they just don't understand and it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. that's what she told me and I remember I think I carried that with me my whole childhood um, to have that understanding that some people are not going to understand you and it's not their fault and it's okay and it's just because they care and they love you and it kind of like I feel like gave me uh, there was less tightness around it and I was able to relax a little bit more and have compassion it made it more about them than about you. It made it more about them. It wasn't about me, exactly. Yeah. It was more about them and their inability to understand, and it had didn't have to do with me. And it was it gave me compassion for them, mm-hmm. um, and an understanding, and it had me not be angry. Um, as I got older, to not be angry with them for pressuring me or questioning me. Um, and I, I don't know. I just I feel like that made a huge difference having my mom having that conversation with me and explaining to me where it was coming from and why they were doing what they were doing because sometimes it really didn't seem nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my grandma wasn't exactly a nice lady. She didn't. She, she wasn't the kindest person. You know, <laughs> um, a little bit of a crabby old lady style. So I think it really helped for me. And I believed her, you know, I believed my mom. It's because they care and they love me and they're just afraid and they don't understand. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. And and you don't have to take it personally, basically. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. When you can, when you can take that shift that Mm -hmm. takes so much weight off you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm Because as a child, you, you take their, um, their questions, um, on, on, as you're for yourself, right? Because
1: yeah, these well, are people could, in, these are adults in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So well, to understand children are, that that's
0: where they are.
1: Yeah. yeah. Just, we're just, children are so sensitive to everyone's mm. attention, like the, the style of attention yeah. that they're getting. Yeah. So I think we, we grow according to the attention that we're given. It's like a plant, you know, you grow toward the sun. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's like you, you grow toward the sun, you grow toward where the attention is being given. That's so if one. the, if the attention is being given to uh, like, you know, are, are you going to, well, are you going to be okay? Don't you need to learn this? And don't you need to do that? It's like, we're going to be like, Oh, you know? Yeah. If it's all fear-based, right? am I going to be okay? And I remember having these thoughts, you know, and it certainly didn't come from my mom. It was definitely from the grandparents and other people in general, in society, um, who would ask those kind of questions like, well, how are you going to learn how to do this? And how are you going to learn how to do that? And not having those answers as a child. Um, And I know that I had some of those fears, like as a teenager, I remember having some of these fears, like, "Uh, maybe I'm not going to be able to do things as good as everybody else. And in the simple ways, you know, like, um, being nervous, like opening a bank account, anything Mm -hmm. that had to do with like you know that involved numbers and or spelling that spelling was the thing for me or writing handwriting you know um Mm -hmm. and I remember being self-conscious and then I got around I started to see how other people were and how other people's how I read people's spelling and I saw people's writing and I could and realizing that I was far more than adequate compared to the mm-hmm. average American person. Yeah. Um, and that I often could do things better than the people around me. Just simple mm-hmm. things, you know, because I, I think I knew I never lost the ability to learn, which I think a lot of kids shut off at yeah. some point. They kind of like close the door, you know, um, on, on learning and absorbing information because they've just had too much shoved in there that's, it's just too much. They go, it, they just shut down, mm-hmm. um, and re- rebel, you know, from being forced. And and I didn't have to shut down. I didn't have anything to to rebel against, so I remained open. And um, and I have, how do you say that? But like, I know where to go in myself to learn something mm-hmm. new. I can still mm-hmm. absorb information more readily than than people around me. Oftentimes, I remember doing musical theater. I mean, simple things. You know, I remember doing musical theater when I was a teenager and me and my younger brother, we had our lines memorized in half the time as everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. we had everything memorized. We had all, everything. We were like, okay, when's the show? And everyone else <laughs> was playing catch up, you know, it was like we could master something very quickly because we didn't have all this other stuff going on. And we, um, we hadn't shut off that, that channel. Yeah. And that gets shut off in a lot of kids and they don't have that channel and then it's harder for them to absorb things later on in life.
0: Yeah, I think it really does. They get to a place where learning literally is hard for them. Yeah, yeah. Right, because that's because it has been hard growing up because because of the way it's it's forced on them. It's not stuff that they're mm-hmm. interested in, right? So it right. is harder to learn something that you're not interested in.
1: Yep. trying
0: to memorize that. Yeah, you know. So so you, that just perpetuates
1: hugely. And there's one of the points I like to make about this too is that there's so many things that you can learn later it's like why do you have to learn it now when you're five it's just why is that important now like there's so many things you can learn later but there are so many things that cannot be learned later that are like foundation like emotional things psychological things like deeper things that make you who you are as a person and those things get learned some of these huge building blocks to your personality They come in and get learned solidly at a very young age. And those are the things that are harder to change. But the learning academic stuff can be, yeah, yeah, exactly. The learning academic stuff can come later. So I'm not sure if I'm explaining it the way that I'm thinking about it. But um, (laughs) I think what I mean is, for me, I knew that I could pick up a book and I could learn advanced math at any point in my life. That was an Mm -hmm. option. That was my choice. Um, but I think that some of the things that can't be learned later are things, decisions that you make about yourself are the hardest ones to change. Like the, like I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Those beliefs that we make up about ourselves, they happen very young age and they stick and they root. Um, and those are the hardest things to unlearn or to relearn later on in my opinion Mm -hmm. so if you don't make up these because that's what happens to kids in school at some point they're gonna make up that they're not good at this thing they're good at this thing but they're not good at this thing or they're not smart or they're not this or they're not that Um, and 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 deeper deeper things too you know just I'm incapable I'm this whatever it is the beliefs that we make up about ourselves when we're young it's like everyone has those in there somewhere and they happen when they're when you're really little and it's not under your control. But you yep. can learn any academic anything later in life. So I feel like my mom realized that it was more important that we knew that we learned the important lessons first. You are, you are strong. You are beautiful. You are capable. You are intelligent. You are perfect, whole, and complete. And you are able to do anything that you set your mind to. You have everything you need to learn anything you want in life. And if you have that belief first, then it's absolutely true.
0: Wow, that's awesome, Summer. Yeah, I really get it, and I'm glad you shared that because that the who we are as a person, um, Mm -hmm. like you said, we're going to we're going to absorb that and learn that from Mm -hmm. from our circumstances when we're young. Yeah, and if no one ever
1: tells you, if no one ever tells you, no one ever told you in your life. that that you weren't smart enough or good enough or that you needed to know these things to be okay. If you never believed that, that thought that you needed to know these certain Mm -hmm. things to be okay, then you wouldn't. You would be okay. (laughs) And and then you can learn those things later. You can learn those things later. I don't understand why people are so afraid. Like it's this, uh, there's this rush. There's this um, panic that they they need to teach their kids these things now. And I don't understand that because I can still go and learn anything I want to learn. It's never too late.
0: I know that's such a great way to think of it is that, you know, the most important thing to learn at first is, is who you are, Mm -hmm. understanding yourself, um, your likes, dislikes, Mm strengths, you know, Mm -hmm. everything as a person. And then all the actual, you know, facts and skills and stuff, you can toss those in whenever you need them. Anytime, (laughs) whenever, exactly.
1: Whenever you need them, you have the ability to learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it. So why do you have to learn all these things before you even need them or before you even, as a child, can see any point in it? If you don't have any actual, like, application for the thing that you're learning, there's not going to be – I read a really great quote the other day. It said something like – what was it? Oh, teaching a child about things they're not interested in is like throwing marshmallows at his head and calling it eating yeah and I loved (laughs) that that. I was like yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely (laughs) and and I also it's like I -hmm. I realized that um I think maybe some people don't realize that you can learn those things like later that you need them now like there's this hurry but Mm -hmm. um I think also people don't realize how easy most of that stuff is the stuff they teach you in school where it takes like 12 years like you can learn all that in like two years if you really wanted to Mm -hmm. um it's really not what they make it out to be at all all the academic stuff it's not that difficult and most of the stuff they teach you in school you don't end up using in your life anyways well I think that's all part of what makes it so difficult
0: number one you're having to learn a bunch of stuff that you're never going to use yeah and, and it's stuff that you're not interested in. Right. So So all of that makes it
1: seem so hard. Yeah. That's what makes it
0: seem so hard, but it really isn't.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you have the motivation, if you have a personal reason, Mm -hmm. if you have the motivation for it, like you, you have, you can see the application that will benefit you now, then it's easy. Then you just do it.
0: Well, even when you're motivated, You're intrinsically Mm -hmm. motivated to do it, even if it, um, you know, maybe gets frustrating or maybe takes a while to learn. You're motivated. So it's it seems easy in that because you'll keep going back to it. You'll Mm -hmm. you'll learn it. You'll figure it out. Right. Yes. Because you want to just because you want to.
1: Yes, exactly. And you'll learn things you didn't even set out to learn to achieve a certain goal. Mm -hmm. You know, you have a certain goal in mind and there you may have to learn all kinds of things, you know, in all kinds of different categories to achieve that one goal. Yeah. Um, So you're not always learning this thing for the sake of that thing. You might be learning it for the sake of something else entirely. And that's mm -hmm. where that's where I feel like. And a lot of people don't necessarily under, understand that. I know there's some that are, I know Finland is starting to do this, what they're calling phenomenal based learning they're moving into, which is inver- instead of subject based learning, they're doing this kind of more um, object based, like goal oriented. Like you want to be this? Okay, then we're going to, you're going to have to learn how to do this, this and this if you want to do that. And, and so it makes sense to the kids. They have a reason. It's a personal reason. And it's not just for a grade. It's for something they want for themselves and in them, and their lives. And I know, I mean, I I can't even tell you, I, I run my own business. So it's like the, the things I had to learn just to do the one thing that I love, which is blowing glass. The things I had to learn to be successful, <laughs> to make a living blowing glass is like, I can't, I don't even know where to start.
0: Yeah, it's like a window on the world. Like whatever yeah. your interest is, you will learn all the little pieces Mm -hmm. about in the world that that at first you don't think are related right yeah yeah (laughs) but but they are when you're trying to to accomplish that in the world and speaking of which uh could you share a little bit about how you discovered your passion for blowing glass and how that yeah
1: yeah I mean I really just I think I got lucky and um I got really lucky I was living on Kauai with my family I was about I think I was 14 and my best friend who was homeschooled but kind of unschool. I mean, they had, I don't know, they had a whole other thing going on, but they were mostly homeschooled. Um, her family was very, very artistic. Her mom was super creative, beading, sewing, singing, everything. She got into making glass beads in a torch where you melt glass rods in a torch and you shape them into beads to make jewelry. Mm-hmm. Um, and she got a studio set up at their house and I would go in, and visit and stay. And we used to make jewelry together, me and my friend. And then we started, um, started making glass beads. I got on the torch one day and I got a 10 minute lesson and, and that was it. I was like obsessed. I was completely obsessed. <laughs> I've always been a pyro, you know, I've always loved fire, <laughs> Um, and I've always been really into ma- making things. I've always been crafty and making things and art and beauty and, um, I used to sew clothes and do that kind of stuff as a child, but it was always making things with my hands and making things pretty. That was always my thing when I was little. And so this was like, I get to play with fire and make pretty things at the same time. (laughs) And, um, I just became obsessed. I fell in love with it. So I guess I talked about it so much. (laughs) I was annoying everyone around me and trying to get to their house all the time to, to make beads that, um, and this was actually it was about probably two years. We moved to Colorado for a while and we moved back and I was still into it. And I got back on the torch and my mom could see that this was not just a phase, you know, like, like, oh, she's into this thing for a few weeks or, you know, that happens. <laughs> um, but this was like, wow, that she could tell this was like an intense passion. So. She was a single mom at the time. My older brothers had moved out. It was just me and my younger brother and my mom. And we never had a lot of money. We always were fine, but there was rarely extra. Um, But she actually got it together and bought me my own equipment. And it it was a big deal. And I split the cost of a kiln with a friend and got my own torch and tools and glass and set up shop on a friend's property started making glass beads and I just spent hours a day. And this is one of those unschooling things where it's like, if I was in high school at the time, this never would have happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This never never have happened. I would not have had the time, the energy, the creativity. There's no way. Yeah. Um, but I was allowed time and space to just completely immerse myself in this medium, in this art form um, and spend as many hours as I, as I wanted to and just get it, all flowing and and exploring and and learning and it's a lot. There's actually quite a bit of science in it and heat and gravity and different compatibilities of glass and so many people don't even realize that there's different kinds of glass. There's hard glass and soft glass and there's different kinds of soft glass and different kinds of hard glass and they're not compatible and they have different you know expansion and contraction rates and all this stuff and it it turns into a whole thing. You have to learn all these things. Um, <laughs> And uh, programming equipment and fixing equipment and and researching online and um, anyway so I actually started selling my own work right away and me and my friend did a weekly farmers market and we also did some like seasonal craft fairs and we started selling our work to a couple of little sh- I think one gallery and a shop or two and and that's just kind of how it started and then it was as a teenager. It was more of a hobby because I didn't need the money necessarily. So it was kind of like a more of a fun thing and a hobby thing on and off for several years. And at one point, I think when I was 18, 19, I think a lot of people at this age get have these ideas in their head. Like they're going to be some big, great life, like world changing person, Um, you know, going to be impressive and do something great in the world. And I think I thought that making jewelry wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I don't want to make jewelry. So many girls make jewelry and that's not cool enough. I want to be something great. And, um, so I actually moved to Southern California for a while and I was a full-time nanny, um, for a family, which was a really amazing experience. And, and I miss Hawaii so much. I decided to move back and that's when I started to take on the glasswork a little more. I was helping my mom with her chocolate business at the time And then I think it was when I was in my twenties that I really was like, I chose it. I was dabbling in, uh, you know, several things, but it was like in my, I think I was like 21 or so. And I was like, this, this is the thing I always come back to. This is the thing I'm happiest when I'm sitting in front of this torch and maybe it's not, you know, some big, great thing. I don't have some fancy title. I don't have a college education. I was like, but this is where I'm happy. And I already knew I could make money at it because people would buy my work um, at the farmer's markets. I did I did fine with that. But I still struggled. I had a few years there where I was living on the Big Island where it was like I, I chose it. Um, but the Big Island's a little bit more difficult. There's not as much tourism and not as much money. Um, and so I struggled for a few years there, but I was doing like two or three farmer's markets a week and trying to sell the galleries. And I stayed afloat. Um, and then once I moved to Maui it just started to really blossom. So in the last like six years, my business has really taken off. It's become very successful. I'm in a handful of different high-end galleries and like gift boutiques here on the Island. And I sell online. Um, and then I got into furnace work soft glass. So I'm not just doing the jewelry anymore. I met an artist on the big Island it had a furnace, which is a whole nother thing. I don't need to get into a whole education of (laughs) glass blowing here, but, um, but basically I fell in love with furnace work on an even deeper level and it's kind of much bigger. It's more blown. It's fine art sculpture and blown glass um, that I've gotten into and it's larger pieces and you're working in teams of people. Um, and it's hot, heavy, intense work. And I love it so much. I can't even tell you. It's like one of those things I would pay someone to let me do. So the uh-huh. fact that someone's paying me to do it is like unbelievable. Um, so my life's kind of Id- idyllic. It's, it's a little ridiculous, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I work at a shop now that's actually across. I live across the street from this shop Worcester Glassworks. And it's this older couple and their son. They've been blowing glass together for 50 years. And they took me on as their apprentice about three years ago. And I've, been, I've just been in heaven working with them. I trade shop time. I, I assist them, and then they pay me in shop time. And then I also have my lampworking studio there. So I do all of my jewelry making out of their shop as well. Wow. So I have my jewelry business, which is my income. And then I have the hot shop work, which is kind of like an apprenticeship where I'm, I'm still learning and growing and developing my own body of work. Um, I am selling some of what I make out of there right now. But um, mostly I'm just trying to to further myself as an artist in that medium. That's anyway. incredible.
0: <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And none of this would have happened. I really don't think any, I don't know what kind of a person I would be if I'd gone to school, you know, if mm-hmm. I had a less supportive. But my mom always told us, just find something you love. I'll support you as long as you need. I don't care what it is, as long as you love it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and That's and wonderful. everyone else was saying you need to go to school you need to get an education, you need to get a degree what if this art thing doesn't work out I had my dad, my dad's super wonderful and he's become really supportive but he always wanted me to have a backup plan just out of fear for his daughter you know um, always wanted, Always, you should go to school you should get a degree in business so you have a plan B if this whole art, he just saw it as a hobby yeah. and not as a career but in the last few years now that I've Um, that it's, it's actually people, other people can see that it's working, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm successful. I am, you know, I'm paying my bills. I'm living a really wonderful life Mm -hmm. and uh, that I have, and then I'm surrounded by other successful artists people who own their own studios. And now my dad is like, come around to just be really amazed and supportive. And my brothers are super amazed and supportive. And, um, so that feels really good. Also. Yeah,
0: cause now, now, now they can see it through, um, through the filters that, that they have. Right. I mean, right. Through the filters. Exactly. They,
1: yeah. Yeah. Through the filters. Yeah. Because, you know, my mom was like, I, she wouldn't care if I had become, you know, a, who knows, a garbage lady. She'd have been like, as long as you're happy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, as long as you're happy. My mom had a very different set of priorities, I think, than a lot of people. Um, Mhm. And my dad just but wanted the, to make sure that I was secure, you know, and yeah, and yeah. Care, and could take care of myself on that. Of course he would. Um, mm-hmm. And and I uh, am. So so he's, he's good. He's happy. Well,
0: that's it. <laughs> you, you know, you've gotten there from a path that made him uncomfortable because yeah. of, of the fear because he hadn't seen that kind of path lead to where he was hoping you would be. Right. And you've gotten to that place, but you've come from a very different perspective and it feels very different for you, but for him, it's also gotten to a place where he's now comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. When you're out and about, uh, I figure in conversation, it it eventually comes up that you didn't go to school Mm -hmm. and I imagine you get lots of, uh, questions right from people around you going about (laughs) your days. I was just wondering what some of the common questions were.
1: Well, yeah, I think that I yeah, think everyone, <laughs> I think everyone who is, has been unschooled or is, un, you know, practicing unschooling can relate to the socialization question, which yeah. is like, you know, well, how did you, how did you make friends? That's like the biggest one, I think for everybody and, and most of us unschoolers, the grown ones, especially, and I'm sure experienced unschooling parents. It's like you hear that question and you're just like, oh, my God, again, like gag me with a spoon. <laughs> because to us, it's a ridiculous question. Um, to me, it was a ridiculous question. And my brother used to answer it really well. He liked to say, well, I'm talking to you right now, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and um, because people have this idea that socialization means you're socializing in your in your peer group, you know, with, with yeah. kids your own age. And I actually think that's somewhat unnatural at Um, in a tribe and a family, you would be interacting with people of all ages. And so when people ask you like, well, how did you make friends? It's like, well, you, you talk to people. What do you mean? How, how do you make friends? (laughs) You know, um, you don't have to go to school to make friends and your friends don't have to be your age. In fact, you learn a lot more from people who are of different ages, younger and older. I think you learn so much from teaching younger people. Mm-hmm. as well as being taught by older people. And exactly. I, in, in, in my family, we there's four kids, so we had a lot of socialization just amongst ourselves. <laughs> um, and maybe some families don't have that, so it's a little bit more difficult. I think it can feel isolated for some people if you don't have a supportive community or or family member. We had my cousins, my mom's sister, um, my cousins went to Waldorf school. And we did spend quite a bit of time with them. And my aunt was really, really cool and never judgmental of us. She couldn't, she didn't have it in her to do it herself. She didn't understand her. One of, this is another good question. Like, I don't know if it's a question, but it's a comment that a lot of people make when -hmm. they hear that you're unschooled or when they talk to my mom and mom says she unschooled. Um, And it's, it's like, well, I couldn't do that because my kids aren't like your kids, my yeah. kids aren't self-motivated. Your kids are special. And my aunt had that attitude and my mom was just like that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. You think I just random like somehow magically got four self-motivated kids, yeah. you know? <laughs> um so that one that one's a funny one too. And but yeah, the, I think the common question is the is the socialization. Yeah. And um I think it's human nature to socialize we're social animals so to think that we need to provide that for our kids is a little bit strange also I think it's a little bit strange that we don't encourage our kids to find other ways to make friends and to make friends in their own way if they want to you know um mm-hmm. I i I'm a very actually I have a lot of friends I spend a lot of time alone and I really enjoy being alone and I don't have very many close friends I have a few but I have many, many acquaintances because I'm a pretty outgoing, talkative person when I'm out in the world. Um, yeah. I, t- I just talk to people. It's natural for me. My, my dad is the same way my dad can talk to anyone. You know, I makes friends with the waitress and the cashier. yeah. So if your kids are with you, and this is the other thing, is when your kids are with you and you go to the grocery store together and you talk to the cashier they're learning simply from being alive and observing and being part of your life. Exactly. And they're not in school. Also, you know, on the way home, you, your tire blows, they're with you and they learn how to change (laughs) a tire or they learn how to call a tow truck. And those are the important life skills. Those are like, (laughs) in my opinion, (laughs) and they're with you when you go to the bank and you have to cash some checks and they learn how to fill out the deposit slip, you know, I remember that. I actually remember having a time in with my mom in the bank and being like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm filling out a mm-hmm. deposit slip. And I'd be like, well, what is that? And she had to explain it. And I was like, well, how do you do it? Well, what's this for? Well, what about that spot? Well, why are you writing that there? And she didn't teach me. I asked questions. Exactly. And I learned how to do yeah. it myself. And yep. so it's those kind of things that you're with someone when while they're doing these basic life things. And you learn because you get curious and you ask questions and kids are super observant. But when you're in, um, you're in a classroom while life is going on outside, Mm -hmm. then you're learning, you know, you're learning dry material without application.
0: Exactly. It's not connected to anything in your life. Yeah, And and it's, it's simulated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah
0: in the classroom so i'm They're sorry just I, simulating totally got, I got life.
1: off of your off your question i tend to go out on tangents like that but um, oh that's okay i love that <laughs> what are some of the other common <laughs> common questions i get well how do you learn that's the other big question well how did you learn how to read that's my favorite one how did you learn how to read i get that one wow. a lot you know um do you yeah like oh well i was unschooled and people are like oh well what's that and i'll be like well you know we we um, didn't go to school. I was, it was like homeschool. I was like, well, you know, I mean, that's the closest thing to be able to compare it to. But we didn't actually do school at home. We we didn't have any required academia. Um, we weren't forced to learn anything at all. We were provided with means if we showed an interest. Um, but there was never any any force or requirement. So people go, well, how did you learn how to read? Like mm-hmm. as if you can't learn how to read unless you're forced. Yeah. and um and and so I like that question because being from a family of four, we each read in different ways at different ages, so it's not like there's one way to learn it's not mm-hmm. like there's one way to learn how to do this thing it's not like, oh, in order to learn how to read, you have to do it like this it's It's not like that it's kind of like when you learn how to talk um if we were to teach, I think I read this recently too, someone had a really great quote, and it was um if you Taught kids how to speak the way we teach them how to do math or how to write. You would you would sit them down and you would teach them certain words, only certain words, and in a certain order for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And that's ridiculous because every child learns how to speak a little differently. You know, they learn different they learn different words first, and yeah. um, and they learn at different speeds and they learn um, at different ages. Some kids will just start talking one day. Some kids will do a a word here, a word there, and they'll they'll build up to it. Um, Or some of them are like my little brother who really shockingly at like, what was he, eight, he was really little, he was only like a year old, could say anything that you asked him to say. You just point to something Mm -hmm. and he would say it, one day only, only for one day. And then he stopped and wouldn't speak again for months. And then he just started talking. (laughs) Wow! So, you know, everybody's different. So how did you learn how to read? And it's like, I just think that's hilarious because they think that if you don't, if you don't require a child to learn how to read, they won't learn how to read. Like, are you serious? Like what 18 year old is going (laughs) to want to walk around not knowing how to read a restaurant menu? Do you think they're going to lean over and ask their mom to read everything for them? What 18 years old, who's going to do that? You know, or what kids are yeah. going to want to go get their driver's license. And you have to know how to read to get your driver's license. So <laughs> I'm assuming that's going to happen sometime before that age. <laughs> um, but there's so many things. And for me, I can, uh, I think, well, I can start with my oldest brother. My oldest brother had all the pressure from, from the family members. Um, so he was a, a little bit timid with things like that mm-hmm. because people were constantly asking him and trying to get him to read things all the time. Which I think the huge mistakes people make is people are like, "What does that say?" and "How do you say that?" and "What is that letter?" and what stuff. And it's like that's that doesn't really help. That's not helpful. That makes them self-conscious and it puts them on the spot. Yeah. And it you're treating them like a performing monkey. And um, I I think that's what happened with my brother. And he froze up a little. So he yeah. didn't learn how to read till he was a little bit older and he struggled with it a little bit. He's also more of the work with your hands type. He's a sailor and he works on, he sails, works on boats. So he's not as much the, um, the analytical mind the academic mind. It's just not his thing. Mine either. But my second oldest brother, Clay, he's the brainiac of the family. I mean, he like worked for Apple computers and he's like this super computer nerd genius. And, um, mm-hmm. he learned how to read at Like, I remember he must've been like three or four. And he sat my mom down and made her teach him. She said, I couldn't get up. It was like hours. We sat on the couch. He was like, we're learning how to, I'm learning how to read today. No. Oh, wow. And this is the book he yeah. want, It was because of a certain book and he wanted to learn how to read this book. And he was, and he asked her and she sat down with him. And he and he went through the whole entire book until he could read every word. And that was it. And so by the time he was Mm -hmm. like five, six years old, he was like reading um, chapter books. Um, And then me, I was just far too busy with other interesting things. I was interested in other things. I wanted to be in nature. I was really into building fairy houses and sewing doll clothes. And, you know, um, I was really in my own imagination I had a very I still do have a very rich, vivid imagination, and um, that's where I spent a lot of my childhood and in in nature and in my imagination and um, I think I just wasn't really super interested. I also had a tendency to to not want to do something I wasn't good at right away. Mm-hmm. If I can't get it right the first time forget about it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So I did that with, um, with reading. I think I learned, you know, sounds of letters when I was pretty young. And then I like tried to read something and I was like, ah, you know, this is, this is silly. And I'm going outside. Um, (laughs) I got frustrated. And then I think when I, it wasn't until I was like 11, I read Jonathan Livingston Siegel for some reason. I don't know why I was bored probably. But we spent a lot of time in libraries as a kid. My mom's super into books. There was always books around. She always read to us out loud. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we spent a lot of time in libraries, but I wasn't actually really interested in reading until I was like 11. And then Harry Potter came out. <sighs> And, um, and me being the super fantasy lover. And I didn't realize that reading was like this window into this whole world of imagination. It was like beyond magical. So I had a friend, I had a pen pal for a while and she was like, have you read Harry Potter? And, um, and so that's what got me started and I Mm -hmm. could read. It wasn't that I couldn't read. I could, but I didn't read enough to be proficient. I wasn't interested in it enough to be like, you know, just read. Um, yeah. but my little brother started reading Harry Potter and that was it. I was like, uh uh-uh, he's not going to be reading these big books before me. <laughs> I'm older. And then I devoured them. I read all the Harry Potter books and then I read every fantasy novel I could get my hands on. And I read six hours a day. I read incessantly. I had a book in my hand all the time. My mom had to mm-hmm. tell me to like, honey, put the book down and go outside. You're getting weird. <laughs> <laughs> like I read, I read too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that there is such a thing, but you know, like yeah. <laughs> uh, my mom could, was like, honey, you need to move your body. Like you're not going to be able to sleep. You're getting like, um, so she had to help me a little bit with that, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is good. Is great. And I still, I still love reading. I'm busy nowadays it's a lot to get any reading done, but, um, yeah, That so that's our story. That's one of the questions I get a lot. How did you learn how to read? And it's the same with anything. Take any other topic. How did you learn how to do math?
0: You know, well, yeah.
1: I, I wanted to handle my own money, you know. Um, so you mm-hmm. do. And I and, and I had a question recently. Um, I was talking about unschooling with this family on the Big Island, this beautiful family. They have two precious little, little kids, and they um, – they're homeschooling, they're doing school at home, they're doing schoolwork, and they're, they're considering moving into a little more freedom. And uh, so I was talking with them about it, and they were asking me questions. I've known them for a long time. And, and the dad was asking me, um, he thinks it's really important. He's like, well, I think the kids should be required to, to, to write essays and learn how to write papers and reports and things, because those are skills they're really going to need later in life. And he asked me, he's like, Well, you have to do that kind of stuff, right? He's like, you have to write up descriptions for your work online and you have to and it's true, I do. I basically that those are all the skills that you need um mm-hmm. to write those kind of things and to deal with selling online. And I'm I'm building a website for the Worcesters. I'm having to write I'll write their bio pages and and a whole description of what we do and you know, all of that. And um so he asked me, like, how did you learn how to do those things? And I was like, I just did it. I didn't learn how to do it. I didn't prepare. It's just part of it. It's just how life happens. It was like, I made this thing and I want to sell it. And it'd be cool if I sold it online. And you just do. You just did. I just did. I just I just did it. I just wrote it, you know. And then I would have sometimes I'd have my mom help me edit things. And then I just learned how to do it on my own. And it's because I wanted to. And I just learned by doing it. And I think a lot of people don't realize that that's a more powerful way to learn is just direct experience and um, learning by doing and not necessarily preparing. Unless that comes from the child, like I want to prepare for this thing that I have coming up. That's awesome. But in this case, it was like I couldn't have known that I was going to want to write this thing to sell this thing, you know? And, um, (laughs) so I just did it and I didn't think anything of it. It wasn't like, Oh, I haven't learned the skills to write an essay or a paper. How am I going to do this? I didn't Mm -hmm. have those thoughts. (laughs) I just wrote what was necessary. Um, and I think people don't realize that, that people don't realize the skills that we pick up just by living. And, um, And we think that all these things are separate, separate subjects. They're separate subjects, I think is a a Mm -hmm. huge, a huge part of the mental block. Um, That, that there's these things, that there's these separate subjects and you have to learn these certain things to prepare for these other things. And it just doesn't occur that way to me in my life. To me, it's all just all, everything flows into everything else and everything's connected and it's all just part of being alive. Um, yeah. So I didn't think I didn't have this like, uh oh, um, I have to write this whole long description and I don't have the skills for it. I did, that wasn't it wasn't a consideration. I'd never written a paper. Mm-hmm. I'd never been graded on anything. I've never um, never anything like that. And one of the things about that, too, is my brothers, you know, when they got to be of college age, they both went and took entrance exams to like community college and they both like. They both were in like the highest percentile. And they'd never mm-hmm. they'd never taken a test in their life. Even Garrett, the oldest one who ha- who struggled with academic stuff, he was really surprised. He surprised himself by how well he did. <laughs> He's like, "I didn't realize I would do so well." And he got like, you know, great scores. And my brother Clay ended up going um, getting accepted to UC Berkeley for a while. And then he went um, to New York and lived there for a while, went to school. He has a degree in political science. And and now he's still working with computers. He's part of the startup company. I don't even know what he, I can't even tell you what he does. I'm not sure. Something, <laughs> something with computers.
0: <laughs> yeah, we just think everything has to be prepared for, don't we? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the very conventional view that, that mm-hmm. you can't, organically learn things as you're doing them they must be learned first Mm -hmm. before they're done yes that's that's just a huge paradigm shift that that can take a
1: while Mm -hmm. and just thinking that things are separate like I remember we did this charter school thing at one point Uh, I think it was for the it was for the legalities in California Uh, Mm -hmm. I think I was like eight or nine years old and my mom had to like sign a thing every year saying that she was responsible for education or whatever And I remember we were doing this charter thing for a while and it was a friend of the family who would come once a week and kind of like talk to us and see what we did and what we learned and whatever. And he was great because he would pick anything out. You know, he would come over and be like, so what'd you guys learn this week? And we'd all be like, uh, I don't know. And He's like, well, what did you do? Well, um, we baked bread and he was like, well, there, that's a science project right there. You know, like, (laughs) you baked bread you learned how these things react and how this happens and fermentation and all this stuff and then it'd be like you played Monopoly awesome there's your math for the week you know like you it so people don't realize that all of these things that we're doing in life just cooking with your kids and and just doing projects and just allowing them to be part of your daily life is is so powerful they learn so much I mean that's just that's that's it right there Right and then there. they ask yep. and they'll ask they ask questions. You don't even need to point things out. You don't even need to encourage them. Just be responsive. you just need to be there and be responsive. And, mm-hmm. and supportive. I mean, sometimes, you know, that they, they might need sometimes it's, it's nice to be encouraging. I'm not saying don't encourage your kids. <laughs> I'm just saying that they don't need you to point out things for them to learn. Um, mm-hmm. kind of like I was saying, like, you know, you, you, they don't, I didn't need that. I didn't need my mom to be like, how do you say this? And we do it from the time they're tiny. Well, from when they're tiny, yeah. we're putting them on the spot and we're being like, say this word and say that word. We think we're helping. We think we're helping. But I know that when someone does that to me now, I mean, how does that make you feel when someone does that to you? hmm it's not great. It's not like, Oh, they're helping me learn. Like, that's not how it feels. <laughs> it feels like I know. I remember that feeling when I was little and people would do that to me. I remember my grandma doing that to me. I remember her asking me, you know, like it was some math question, simple math question, but the way in which she asked it and the question itself made me feel like she thought I was stupid And it made me feel like she didn't trust me or trust that I knew what I needed or she didn't trust that I was okay. Really, that's kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. It's really that when people ask those kind of questions, I remember feeling that way. When adults would ask me questions about things that I knew, like, how do you say that word? You know, Trying to get me to read a word on a a road sign. Mm -hmm. It felt to me like they didn't think I was okay. They were testing me.
0: And they're taking away your
1: power. And it's right? not You're, a good feeling. They're making it about them. No, they're making it about them. And it, it, it makes, it made me feel like, oh, I don't even know the word. Like it's an emotion and I'm not sure how to describe it exactly, but it certainly made me feel uneasy, uncomfortable mm-hmm. and untrusted. Um, and, and, and un, like, what's the word? I, I can't think of the word right now, but you get the idea. Um, <laughs> yeah. So those things, and I see people doing that to their kids all the time, and, and it comes from love, you know, and it comes from unconsciousness, because it's just what we do in our society. Um, constantly putting this attention on kids and and asking them questions all the time, and we think that we're teaching them, we're helping them learn, but that's I just don't think that's how we learn. It's not how I learned. I learned it's so from people treating me like that, I learned that... Um, I, yeah, that's how I got my insecurities was from those questions. Mm-hmm. I, you I never thought know maybe I wasn't where a child's okay. mind's going to go? No, you yeah. don't know what they're learning from what you're trying to teach exactly. them might not be what they're actually learning. From from, and that's how they're insecure
0: mm-hmm. because they see when you ask them those questions or try to point the next thing out, mm-hmm. point the next thing out mm-hmm. where you think they are. Mm-hmm if it's different from where their mind was going yep. they were making a different connection that would have been just as valid and yeah. all of a sudden yeah. it feels like a judgment oh you wanted me to go over here but i was going over okay we'll go where you think
1: i should go yeah. and then they lose
0: start to lose trust in themselves yeah, exactly
1: yeah exactly that's yeah beautiful point yes they lose trust in themselves and yeah. and trust is something that's trust is something that's built and I think that the more trust that you place in your children, the more trustworthy they become. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know that to be true in my own experiences with my mom. And I remember trying to tell my stepmom things about this too, for my little sister's sake. And um, and my stepmom, she's wonderful. She's great. And But there were things sometimes where I was like, I was like, Julie, if you don't show her that that she's trustworthy. She's not going to be. And if you don't give her this space or this, you know, this freedom here, she's going to think you don't trust her. And then she's going to start acting like it. And that's Mm -hmm. exactly what started happening. Started going behind her back, you know, sneaking around doing things she wasn't supposed to do, that kind of stuff. Um, Because she didn't feel trusted or respected. She didn't feel respected. And I, you know, and that I think is, yeah, I felt respected. I felt trusted and respected. And I felt I always had the freedom to feel or think whatever I wanted. I didn't always have the freedom to do whatever I wanted. I mean, in a family, you have to make things work. Sometimes you got to do the dishes, you know, you got to sweep the floor, (laughs) you have to be a functional part of your family, your society. We had to make things work as a whole, you know? Yeah. Um, that's so I find I find that a lot and that people and that's another on answering that same question, like what are the questions that I get? Is <laughs> like, so you were just allowed to do whatever you want? And I'm like, well, mm. I wouldn't put it that way because we actually had to have lights out because there was younger ones. You know, he had to go to sleep and we had to be quiet. And it wasn't like a militant forced on kind of thing. It was kind of just like it just made sense. We all, it all, we all wanted to be in harmony. We all wanted to be, um, we all wanted to make it work. And we could see that if we didn't do this, it was going to be not good for us later. So somehow my mom was able to always convey this sense of community in our family that we all had. And we would sit down and sometimes my mom would be like, listen guys, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. She had great humility and was always willing to admit when she was wrong or when she didn't know what was going on or what to do about something. And it made us step up. And um, Mm -hmm. I remember feeling like I had power in my family because there wasn't just this dictator that made all the rules. It was like we had to figure it out together and what worked for everyone. And, um, And my mom was amazing that way in that she didn't just... She didn't just tell us how it was going to go. It was like, what do you guys think? How is this going to work? You know? And she'd be like, well, this really doesn't work for me. And I don't know what to do about that. And we'd be like, well, I really want like this. So how about we do it like this? And we'd come to like, you know, we'd come to conclusions. And um, it wasn't like it, it. We had hard stuff through our family, like everyone does. And we've all got issues, like everybody. But I think the fact that my mom was always willing to admit when she was wrong and willing to work things out with us and not just be the, uh, authoritarian, um, that, w- that made all the difference in the world and she respected yeah. us and she respected our needs and opinions. And yeah, I mean, it just, it worked, <laughs> it worked somehow in that way. And we could see that we were all part of, um, of a greater whole. And we wanted that whole to work. So we did our part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You all felt like, like equal and valued members.
1: Well, yeah. Of, equal, of equal family, and val- your... Exactly. Equal and valid members.
0: Well, I think, I think what you said before about how your mom, um, would bring her needs to the table. Yes. She would say, that's not really working for me. Mm-hmm. Like how else can we do yeah. this? How else? And you just keep,
1: and it was always loving, you, find you know, that it was always yeah, loving. Exactly. Like, even if you have to say no, you can do it in this way. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry, sweetie. I know that you want this, but this just can't happen right now. And I don't know what to do about it. What, what can we do about it? You know, and then it's mm-hmm. not just you saying no. It's like, maybe we can work this out. And Do you have any ideas? And then they're exactly. responsible for their own life and, the, and, and how things go. Well, I must say, I could talk forever, too. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Summer. I know we've worked so hard I know, to get this I know, call sure to make it happen. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It's been so lovely to talk to you. You, you,
1: too. So yeah, it's thank you. Great. And I'm, you know, I'm available if anybody wants to talk to me. Um, well, that's awesome. So where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Well, I would say... I would say email because I prefer to just talk. Um, I don't like to prepare. I like to just answer fresh Mm -hmm. from, from my own experience. So email me or Facebook message me. And, um, my email is summer S U M M E R muse, M U S -S E at gmail.com. And you can find me on Facebook. Uh, let's see, how can you find me on Facebook? I think it's summer jean I don't know something and like that I'll put it I'll put it in the show notes. yeah because <laughs> I have my glass blowing page on there too and, uh, and my personal oh, page and okay. my glass blowing page and I have my yeah yeah so all that and my instagram is full of yeah. glass and everything oh that's
0: awesome I'll put all those things in the show notes so people can check Mm -hmm. and I'm sure I'm
1: going to hang up right now and think of a million other things I wanted to say and a million (laughs) things I shouldn't have said and um, all kinds of stuff like that but I really really enjoyed talking Uh, to you and this is um, uh, I love doing this and I would talk to anyone about this anytime that's awesome I really love their conversation yeah me too thank you Pam and keep up the good work I super appreciate what you're doing Thanks for
0: listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the second book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Live, Create a Thriving Unschooling Home. In it, I dive into the four characteristics that I found helped unschooling flourish in our home. Curiosity, patience, strong relationships, and trust. One reviewer wrote, really enjoyed this short and sweet book. It has marvelous one-liners and though I'm not an underliner, I found myself underlining on every page. Another said, I believe it would benefit any homeschooler or parent to read this book as it re-emphasizes the importance of the relationship between a parent and a child in the learning process. I plan to reread this book. It is rich and full of gems. Give yourself some time to absorb it before rushing into unschooling. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.